Last week we looked at the beginning of this passage, verses 15 through 23, and we talked about the fact that we are slaves, we are to be slaves of God, and we talked about the fact that we really are not in a position as, as human beings that we, we, we use these phrase free will, and, and we do have a will. We made that very clear. We have a will. We are, we are called to make morally wise decisions. We are called to, to obey and, and, and to make those decisions. But, but, but that will is not free from all outside influences. That, that's what we were saying. And hopefully we made that clear. I mean, we, it is not free from outside influences. And there's so much about my life and about your life, even apart from sin. Uh, yesterday, I was just went out into the garage and sat there in the garage and was studying and, and just uh, reading Titus over and over and over again. Not, I just, for some reason, that book was on my heart, and I was just reading it for my time with the Lord, and, and I was reminded of this even in Titus. But as I thought about it, you know, all the things that affect our wills all the things that affect how we make decisions and and how god is the one sovereign over that we had no we had no say so in that and and think with me for a moment your nationality think about how your nationality affects your will think about how your race can affect your will your age think about the simply the era the era in which you were born affects your will, your, your gender. All those things affect how you make decisions. All those things affect this so-called free will that we purport. And, and my point being last week, and Paul's point is really Paul's point, is that we're not free in the sense of we're, we're totally void of these outside influences, namely sin. And what we said last week was you're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to God. And, 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 and Satan has deceived us into thinking that, that we're free outside of God and that the decision is do I want to give my freedom and enslave myself to God or do I want to maintain my freedom and, and, and stiff-arm God? And that's really not the question. The question is do I want to be a, do I remain a slave to sin and the result being death, or do I want to enslave myself to God, the result being life eternally? That's really the question. And Satan has deceived the world into believing. And 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says he's, he's blinded the hearts and the minds of the unbelieving into thinking that, that we're free. We're not free in that sense. Are we free? Yes, in a sense, but in a sense, no. And, and as I read Titus yesterday, um, in, in chapter 3 specifically, but I, I was reminded of this, and Paul says this in Titus in a, in a different way, but, and, it, and it ties in so perfectly with where we are. In Titus chapter 3, verse 3, listen to what Paul writes. For we, were also, for we also once were foolish ourselves. He's comparing old self and new self. We were foolish, disobedient, deceived, listen to what he says, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. That's pre-salvation. What does he say? Enslaved to sin. You're not free. Not in the truest sense. 
But, verse 4, when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Listen, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His great mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement, and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently. Listen, so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. You see what Paul is saying? Paul is saying the before and the after, there ought to be a marked contrast. And and what Paul is saying, it's the same thing he says in Romans. We, We need to understand what this freedom is. That he says we have in Christ. We're now free to do what we've been called to do. We're now free to do what our creator has called us to do. We're free to serve God. To enslave ourselves to God. Now as believers in a way that we were not as non-believers. Because we were enslaved to sin. And and I hope that was was clear. We we made it very clear. You're you're always you're always enslaved to a master. It's either sin or to God. You're going to serve one or the other. And, and in that sense, I mean, again, we we and we're not free in that truest sense. And yet, God has, through the grace of of the cross, through crucifying His Son. He has redeemed us, those who are believers. He's taken us out of this realm that was ruled by Satan, that was the realm of Adam, placed us in a new realm that is ruled by Christ. The fruit of this old realm is death eternally. The fruit of the new realm is life eternally. And and Paul says you're going to be a slave to one or the other. And what God is desiring here, you see it in verse 17, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, back in Romans chapter 6, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became a slave of righteousness. There's no middle ground, one or the other. One or the other. And, And verse 19 is really where we begin today, and it's really where we get the the fill in for that point number two on your handout. I hope you got a handout. Melissa filled in, I think, the points from last week and from the first point, and uh, we'll get to the second point too. But really from 19 is where we get the fill-in. He says, I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. Listen to what he says. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now, as believers, he's saying, Present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. As believers, you see it there in your handout, saved by grace, we are commanded and empowered to present ourselves as slaves to God. Commanded and empowered. The result being sanctification, the result being Christ-likeness. And again, Paul is answering the question. He's, 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 He's crushing the debate with his 
with those arguing against him that the grace of God just encourages lawlessness and encourages more sin. And Paul's saying, no, it doesn't. It actually frees you to not sin. The grace of God does not enable you to sin all the more. It frees you to not sin. It frees you to serve God in a way that you couldn't. And now you can present the mem- your members as slaves to God in a way you couldn't before because you were a slave to sin. And all of that flows from being transferred from one realm to another, from the realm of Adam, chapter 5 of Romans, that is marked by sin and death, to the realm of Christ, that is marked by righteousness and eternal life. And, and all of this is dictated, all of this behavior is dictated by a status change. It's not moralism, not legalism, it's not you paying God back, it's not you trying to be good enough, it's you responding to grace, it's you being captured and enslaved by grace. It's, it's, a, it's from a heart, if he says in verse 17, you became obedient from the heart. You want to glorify God now. And again, we serve a new master. In Christ, we serve a new master. Therefore, we are now called to live for that new master's glory. We are to live under the command of that new master. And and all throughout verses really 17 through 23, Paul shows through contrast what he is saying. You look at 17 and 18. "But, But thanks be to God. Here's what you were. But thanks be to God. Verse 18. And having been freed from sin. So you see you see that transition. You see he is comparing the old with the new. Look down in verse in 20 and 23. You were slaves to sin. But now having been freed from sin. You see the contrast? There ought to be a contrast. That's sanctification. That difference between old and new. And, and Paul, again, he's arguing that it's, you're not, he's under, helping us to understand, again, what this freedom in Christ looks like, what it's about. And, and, and again, look at verse 17 for a second. It, it, it's interesting. He says, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. Notice again, and this is where, you know, being careful with words. Notice that it's not a teaching that was committed to them. The believers committed themselves to a teaching. You say, why does it matter? Well, I think Paul, you see it in your handout, Paul is making the point that becoming a Christian means you place yourself under a new authority. Namely, the Word of God. And the Word of God is that expression of God's will. It's not that we're boundless. It's not that we're free in the sense that we do whatever we want to do. We place our, you're placing yourself under the authority of the Word of God. You're committed to the teaching. And God is the one, again, who's doing this. This Word binds us. This Word guides us. This Word influences us. It's not, and again, in a sense, we're not free to go live. We live according to this word by the power of the word through the spirit that has been given to us. Again, we'll see it later in Romans 7. We don't obey by the spirit of the letter. We obey by the spirit itself. It's not that we're boundless. We have an authority, the word of God. 
And, and again, all of this is the work of right. But this is why the word of God is so important. Even in Titus, again, I was reminded. And again, I, I, just, I, I just felt like the Lord was leading me to read Titus yesterday. And so I, I spent about an, you know, an hour or so in, in Titus. And, and, and I was just amazed at the parallels. Look at even in, in Titus 1.9. Listen to what he calls for believers. He says, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able to exhort in sound doctrine. There's a, the word guides us. We're committed to the word. We're to be people of the word. The word is our authority. Again, this is why a psalmist says your word is a what? It's a light to my path and a lamp to my feet. What guides? What binds? The word does that. And again, we, we, have been, we are to commit ourselves to that teaching, why we are to be people of the word. And again, Paul is doing, doing this and saying this again to address his enemies. It's not, this is the freedom. We are now freed, freed and empowered to obey this word and love this word in a way that our sinfulness never allowed us to. And it's not a law, it's the spirit does that. And again, God promised this. We saw this in Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36. I will, I will put my spirit in you and I will cause you to walk in my ways and I will cause you to obey. All to the glory of God. And again, though Paul, again, think about it. Paul is saying, to, again, possibly to his, belief, to his opponents that although believers are not bound to the Mosaic law, they are bound to a teaching. Right? You see that? They're bound to a teaching. They are to live under the guidance and under the power and under the instruction of a teaching. It's not the Mosaic law, but there's a teaching. And the word, it's the word. As we yield ourselves to the word, the word molds us and the word shapes us. We're, we're going to see in, in Romans 8 where it says it conforms us to the image of Christ. That's sanctification. By the way, anyone wondering what the will of God is? I hear that question all the time. And uh, Is it this house or that house? Is it that job or that job? Forget all that nonsense. Forget it. Here's the will of God. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. This is the will of God. He answers the question. Your sanctification. That's what God desires of you. And here's the point. When we're sanctified, when we're growing in Christ's likeness, we have the mind of Christ. Guess what we're going to do? We're going to do what God would want us to do. Right? We're going to make those decisions. Because we have the mind of Christ. But here's the difficulty. Here's the difficulty I see. Most of us, if we're honest, we more or less ignore this word. And then when it comes to, and so we don't know the mind of Christ. We don't know what his desires are. And then when it comes to these big decisions, we freak out because we don't know. Well, you, you, we panic. And now all of a sudden, we want to look godly all of a sudden. And make the right decision. When if we would have been, had a relationship with the Lord the whole way, the whole time, and these decisions come up, we'd know what he wants us to do. Because let, let's say job or whatever. You know, we, we, we pick a job based on a salary. We pick a job based on all these things. No one, no one ever comes and says, Chris, uh, I, I want to go to that. Do you look at the churches that are in that area? How is this going to affect your family? That, that's where the mind of Christ comes in, more than just what's the salary. And I say all that to say, the, the, 
it's the authority of God's word. It's conditioning ourselves to live under the authority of God's word and the guidance of God's word that grows us. I think about Jeremiah. He says, your words became food and I ate them. I think about Jesus in Matthew 4. Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is our nourishment. It's not, again, you can see how it fits into Paul's context. It's not that Christians are free in the sense that we're not guided and we have no authority over us. We do have an authority, the word. And, and, and we present ourselves to God through obedience to the word that we've been committed to. And in doing that, it's, a, it's slavery to righteousness through the word. Through obedience to the word. And, and this fits in the whole context, again, of Romans in uniting Jews and Gentiles, uniting these people. You see how all of a sudden it's not, it's not about the law, it's about the word. You're, and when all of us in here, think about it, what a, think about the picture if all of us were serious about the word. You think about the unity that would come about this place if every person in here was a serious student of the word. If every person in here really decided today by the grace of God to the glory of God that they were going to seek to digest the word and memorize the word and hide in their hearts and be students of the word and submit their life. You think about the unity that it would come about versus all of us doing our own thing. You see how that fits even in the context of the entire book of, of Romans. All believers coming from different races, different nationalities, different ethnicities, different regions, different backgrounds, and yet singularly united right here. Right here. But, but you see also how he's, he's disproving the point that God's grace frees us to live however we want to live. It doesn't. God's grace frees us to live under the authority of this word joyfully. We want to. And you see it on the handout. Paul's concept of freedom is not that of autonomy, but of deliverance from the enslaving power of sin and death to obedience to God. That's the picture of freedom. The freedom to now glorify God. The freedom now to do what God created us to do in the first place. And, and that's why Christian freedom is a paradox of sorts. Because at the same time we are free, we are slaves to righteousness and to God. We've bound ourselves to grace. And that grace, that through faith, it enables us to be truly free. To not live as self-guides, but to live as God-guides. That's freedom. To do what you were designed, created to do. And again, even that is sanctification. Conforming our lives to the character of God through obedience to the word. And Paul talks about that here at the end of 19, so that you present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. The point being this is that I, I would argue he's saying that's a proof text that you're saved. And, and even in Titus, Paul writes in Titus 1.16, he's talking about individuals, and he says, listen to this, they profess to know God, 
but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. You, you can claim to know God all you want. Do you obey him? What do your deeds say about that? What do your deeds say about what you believe about God? Because James 2 says the demons believe there's a God and tremble. They don't obey him. They don't submit to his righteousness. They don't submit to the authority of the word. And again, sanctification. Growing in likeness to our, to our king. I, I was reminded, I say I was reminded this week, but I was reminded two weeks ago when I first put this thing together because this one sermon ended up being two weeks. But the Puritan confession of faith says it like this. Listen to this. The liberty which Christ hath purchased for believers under the gospel consists of their yielding obedience unto him, not out of slavish fear, but a childlike love and willing mind. Do you see the freedom? The freedom, the freedom to obey God because you want to. Because you get to now as children, not because you have to. You want to. Again, the, the, gospel, the gospel doesn't free us from sin so that we can live for ourselves without the consequence of hell. That's not the gospel. The gospel doesn't free us so that we can live for self and still get heaven. The, you'll see it in the handout. The gospel frees us so that, from sin so that we can serve a new power, namely God. And in doing so, we can glorify Him through our daily lives, through everything we do. It's the gift of grace and opening our eyes to sin, removing the blinders, seeing where our life was headed, where our sin was headed. That's what Paul says here. These things go on. He says... Those things that, what benefit were you deriving that are now brought you shame? Think, think about it for a moment. I think if we were honest, all of us can look back to our lives pre-Christ, maybe even post-Christ. All of us look at, back to our lives and, and they're, they're marked by shame. I guarantee you all, the thing that we thought would bring us happiness, the thing that we thought was going to bring us fulfillment, the thing that we thought was going to bring us joy and all this junk, now, as a Christian, having our eyes open, you know what all that junk brings us? Shame. That's the deceitfulness of sin. The thing that you once thought was to your profit, and that's how enslaved we were, we couldn't see it. The thing that you once thought was to your profit, you know what it brings? Shame. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, what's your benefit? Sanctification, Christ-likeness. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Again, look what he says, a part, a part of which there is no law. Why? Because it's spirit-generated. And, and there's a, God has put his spirit in us to guide and direct and empower. And, and that's why Ephesians 4, whatever, Ephesians 4.30, I think it's 1 Thessalonians 5, says do not quench the spirit, do not grieve the spirit. That's our power source. And how do we grieve and quench those things? Through sin, through, through ignoring God's word, through starving ourselves of God's word. Now when we do that, listen, there's a flesh in you and a spirit in you. The, the flesh begins to rule your life. When the Spirit has been put there to rule your life. 
That's why Paul is saying, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you may obey its lust, he's going to say in Romans 8. But instead, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Why? Because the role of the Spirit is to crush sin. The role of the Spirit is to help me understand this word, illuminate this word, to see the goodness of this word. And Don't be fooled about grace, Paul is saying. Don't misunderstand grace. God and His grace requires absolute obedience, just not in a way to earn your salvation. He does demand that we obey. As children, from a, from a heart that is overwhelmed by His grace, that He would crucify His Son for us. And that's why, again, that's why I was overwhelmed as Daniel was singing that. Forgive me, but just overwhelmed at that moment just of the, the grace of God that he would forgive my sin. That he'd crucify a perfect son. Listen, I have a son and a daughter that, listen, that's unfathomable to me. And, and yet he did that. And even thinking about the days or moments or whatever that I've trampled on that grace and presumed upon that grace and took that grace for granted, how offensive that would be. Even the self-righteousness of trying to diminish the sinfulness that put Christ on the cross. And there's something in our flesh that wants to earn it. There's something in our flesh that wants to think that we've earned it, that we've merited it, that we had a piece of it. And listen, we saw that. When we do that, it no longer, the gospel is no longer grace. That's what Romans 4. It's either a wage or it's grace. Interestingly enough, Paul closes chapter 6 the same way. And you see it on your handout. Believers are not called to obey and do right for nothing on our own strength or in a vacuum. But rather we are called to obey out of a new and powerful relationship that has been established by grace. There's a relationship there. And verses 13 and 19, again, to show the unity, Paul talks about that. Do not, 13, do not go on presenting the members of your body as sin as unrighteous as instruments of unrighteousness but present yourself to God verse 19 but don't go on living this labor to sin but present yourselves to God and, and I struggled a couple of weeks ago and and I I got tangled up in some messes this week and I, I thought about altering the notes but to put this word in here because after I submitted uh, everything last Thursday afternoon as I you know this is why six-page sermons end up being eight, nine-page sermons because I get three more days to think about them after I've sent in the manuscript. There's a word that came to my mind that I think would sum it up. And, and here's the word, and you can write it down. And I think it's the word prefer. And, and, and I will tell you, this word has, for the last couple of weeks, this word has just filled my mind as I've, battle through some situations and, and, you know, just seeking the Lord of what, and, and just my flesh and this and that, and just the word prefer. And here it is. I think as we grow up, 
in the word, as we grow up in sanctification, that grace doesn't lead to sin because we begin to prefer God over our sin. As we grow up in Christ and in sanctification, we realize the goodness of God and the grace of God and how He's for us and not against us and how His commands are not burdensome or wearisome. And here's what happens. We begin to prefer God to our sin. But that only happens through the Word. That only happens as you grow up. Listen, I have two kids at home. You guys have kids at home. I know there are times that they think I'm just being an utter jerk or whatever. They don't comprehend that what I'm doing is really trying to teach them. And what, I, what Karen and I are doing are really trying to train them. And, and they, they balk at times at our discipline and, and what we call them to do. Why? Because they prefer self over obeying their parents. They prefer self over glorifying God. And my, my role as a parent, and again, this is my primary role as their parent, is to help them prefer God to their sin. That's not Corey's job. It's not anybody else's job here. It's my job as a parent to help them prefer God to sin, to see the greatness of God and the rewards of that over their sin. That's sanctification. And the result of that is, is eternal life. Why? Because you, you have chosen God over sin. You've turned away from your sin to God. That's eternal life. You see, the, 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 my, my, my desire for my kids, and I can't make them, but I can help them, is that they would prefer the awesomeness of God to sin. That they would prefer intimacy with God to intimacy with this world. That's sanctification. But that's what we've been freed to do. Through Christ. And this only happens through time spent with the Lord in His Word, through fellowship with one another's, seeking obedience, seeking slavery that we would prefer. And I, and I was reminded again of even what Paul wrote in Philippians. And, and verse 7, he, starting in verse 2, he lists all these credentials that could have been counted to his favor. And yet he says in verse 7, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost. Why? For the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. The things that he once valued, the things that he once put in the, the credit column of his life, now he has transferred those to the debit column, and the thing that's in the credit column is knowing Christ. And he learned that. He says, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them, that's literally an accounting term, I count them rubbish, so that I may what? Gain Christ, and may be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Listen, and what was Paul's goal? Verse 10, that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Being conformed to his death in order that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. 
That, that's, that's what I would desire for my children. That's what I would desire for all of us in here. That we would count that our number one preference in life would be knowing Christ. And that, you see how Paul didn't need a law to bind him? You know what bound Paul? Love for his Savior. And he says that in 2 Corinthians 5.14. He says, the love of Christ compels me, controls me. Not a law. Love. Listen, am I, am, I, am I bound in my relationship to caring to some things? Am I obligated? Absolutely I am. But they're not written on a wall. They're not written on the wall in our house. Here's what they're, here's what they're summed up with. Love. Love. Here's what Karen says. Love me. And I can promise you, I'd do all the stuff that she would have written on the wall. I'll do all that and more if I'll love her first. And I don't need all that stuff. Love. That's exactly what Jesus says. If you love me, you will what? And in this, listen, and in this preference, this is what Paul is saying. In this preference of God to sin, we, we are under grace, right? We're under the control of grace. We're under the, the compelling nature of grace. That, and we would enslave ourselves to that king. Slavery to grace, delighting. And even that, even that is grace. And Paul contrasts it again. We saw it in verses 20 through 23. Paul says, listen, look at, look at, look at your life before Christ and look at what you get. Shame and death. Now look at, look at post-Christ. Glory, eternal life. Which do you prefer? And again, submitting, submitting our lives to this word, that sanctification, holiness, godliness, yielding to his word. The more that we read the word, the more that we love the word, the more that our appetite for the word increases, and the more that we want the word. The, the, the opposite is true. Starve yourself for the word, and you won't want the word. Satan will make sure of it. It's not like my appetite for food. My appetite for food, when I get hungry, I got to eat or else I, I, I get more and more hungry. The problem is this with the word. You starve yourself with the word and here's where you'll end up. You won't want the word. You won't want it. And, and most of us, my fear is most of us will live a life that is built upon our ability to try to avoid sin and just be morally good people generally versus experience a spirit-filled Christ-centered, God-glorifying life. We'll replace Christianity with a, with a, with a mock-up of it. Of just avoiding some major moral pitfalls instead of experiencing knowing Christ. Intimacy. That, that, go back to the marriage thing. It would be like our, 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 our win would be, well, we stayed married versus we had an awesome marriage. Right? And, and our actions, what Paul is saying is our actions, 
back up or to back up our standing. This is what we're to be about, making much of God. And, and the, the, the way we do that, listen, the way we do that is in the context of a body. Why do we have Fellowship 3? Why do we have grow groups? Why do we have Sunday supper? Why do we have these things? So that we can learn to rejoice with those who rejoice. So we can learn to weep with those who weep. So we can learn to encourage one another. So that we can be encouraged by one another. So we can learn to forgive. And, and, and all these things, we avoid them and we do, I hear it all. Listen, we're killing our, we're killing our sanctification. It was not, our, our lives were not meant to live in isolation. You don't learn to forgive by living an isolated life. You don't learn to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice by living for yourself. You don't learn to be hospitable by never having people in your home. And, and, and if we're honest, most of us are okay with that because we're busy. Maybe we're busy with the wrong things. Maybe we're not busy with sanctification. Maybe we're busy with our own kingdoms. I mean, these things, we don't, these things are there to help us progress, to help us grow. And, and, I, and I would argue they're there because they're biblical. These are the markings of Christians. Preferring God to sin. And, and so I ask you, you'll see it there, a couple quick questions as we close. Just to evaluate on your own, to ask yourselves. And, and these are questions that all of us are going to have to answer. And, and by the way, all of us do answer these questions. You look at how you live, you've answered the question. All right? Which master, listen, the first question, which master will you serve, God or sin? The second question is this, what will be the outcome of your service? Of your slavery, it probably should have said, eternal life or death? And what will be the means by which that outcome is attained? A wage earned or a gift received? And you go to verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. You see the difference? It's interesting. You'd think you'd say, for the wages of sin is death. A part of our flesh wants it then to say the wages of salvation is eternal life. Notice it doesn't say that because you don't earn it. No matter how good you are, no matter how bad you are. Listen, you could be Mother Teresa. You didn't earn your salvation. It's never earned. It's a gift. It's a gift. But the, the point becomes live like it. Don't live like it was earned. It's a gift. And, and listen, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we confess our sins, listen, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins. My, my plea, if you're here today and you're a believer... The plea of this, the last two weeks, present yourself as a slave to God and His righteousness, empowered by grace, controlled by grace. Eternal life is the result. If you're here and you're not a believer, 
here's my plea. Repent of your sin. Turn away from your sin. Turn to God as your King, as your Lord, as your Savior, and be freed from sin. Be freed from the wages that your sin is, is, is acquiring, which is death. Even as a believer, look to God as your master. You've been freed to do that. Seek with all your life to glorify Him, to serve Him. You've been freed to do that. That's what your freedom in Christ enables you to do. To serve Him and glorify Him and make much of Him in a way that your sin never allowed. Because you were enslaved to sin and death. Present yourselves, believer. Present yourselves as God, as slaves of righteousness. And again, if you're here and you're not a believer, I would beg you as an ambassador, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 5, I beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Repent of your sin, be reconciled to God. That's the gift. And if you have been, live as a slave to righteousness. 